When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Great shows. Or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, welcome back to Masterclass in Manchester United Tactical Podcast. I'm your host, Hader Albani. Rob, we are back. It is the festive period, so we thought we'd be doing games bunched together, so more content you know, over a longer period of time. But look, Rob, Manchester United have won their first game under Ralph Ranić. I really, really enjoyed that performance, especially that first 30 minutes. I thought it was the best we played in a very, very long time. We looked organised, we looked aggressive, we looked uh, compact, we looked like we knew what we were doing. Really, really happy to see that. Welcome back. What were your thoughts there? You were there live, so you got to see it uh, out on the pitch and you had that big view. I was there, yep. And when they kind of came out and set themselves up in a 4-2-2-2, you know, it was like the heavens above me. I was like, oh my God, great, fantastic, Ranić tactics. I didn't want to see any kind of faux Ole tactics. I didn't want to see kind of repeat of some of the bits that Carrick did, even though he, he did quite well in terms of results. I wanted to see the future and I wanted to see the future manifesting itself in the now and the present. So Crystal Palace, really, really good team. And Manchester United, especially in that first half and first half an hour, made them look very, very ordinary. Uh, completely cut off Palace's supply. And how did they do it? They did it with pressing. Manchester City press, Liverpool press. Manchester United are now decided that they're going to press because they have a pressing coach. So first half was really, really good. Second half, yes, it did tail off, but I think simply because the players were tired. You know, when you're pressing that hard for an hour going onwards, 70 minutes, it is really difficult. So substitutes become, I would say, more important to the Ranić era for six months than it was for Ole's previous three years, where maybe Ole wouldn't make a substitute. But overall, winning the game 1-0, absolutely 100% fine. You know, a clean sheet, a goal, and you stop the opposition. 
That's what Premier League football is all about. Go and make it simple. Win matches, get three points and move on to the next game. A lot of you in the comments here today, guys. Make sure you hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. If you're on Twitter, give this a retweet as well. Share this with all your family and friends. It'll be a great Christmas present for them to join us on this masterclass journey. But Rob, look, let's talk about Ralph Rannick himself. And I want to bring up a quote here on the screen. This is what he said today in his presser. He said, the players have to buy in. I can tell them whatever I want. They need to make my idea of football their own. First step taken, then it's about the next ones. So look, before we go into more of the tactics, it's quite clear that Ralph Rannick has an identity. He has a style of play. He knows how he wants to play. You know, in previous podcasts, we have said about Rannick that he does demand a lot from his players. He expects them to understand their roles within the system. But what I really liked on Manchester United, Rob, the other day was that it did seem like all the players were very up for it. Obviously, new manager, new manager bounce is a real thing. But they looked like they were enjoying themselves. They looked like they were buying into very early days, but they're going to have to work hard to get into this team. It looks like there's players on the bench as well, Rob. You saw a Langer on the bench that came on. They're players that are going to get opportunities. This is a really fresh, clean slate for players. And if they buy into this, they're going to get game time, aren't they? They are. And I think that's the whole idea is that if you if you buy in, opportunity opens itself up and then you can go and prove yourself. So whatever happened on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, that's kind of cancelled now. It's gone. It's finished. So this is a new era. It's a new start. And you can see with these players, you know, going into the Palace game, they've had 45 minutes training on the system on 4-2-2-2. But what they had in addition to that massively was tons of video work, sitting down with the manager and the manager explaining his expectations. So I think that this is kind of the night and day scenario between previous regime of Solskjaer and a new regime or someone with Ranić, who you know what you're getting. You know what he does. You know, we've been doing shows about Ranić now for weeks and we've been doing them on the premise of we know what he does. And what happens on day one? Hmm, he did what he does. He played 4 2 2 2. So none of this is guesswork. This is all research and it's all there for us to see. So the players know this as well. Players go and do their own research as well. Players would have been jumping on YouTube, looking at Ranić videos and what he's been saying. They'll do that because it's, it's part of the culture of, you know, modern day. But I think when you look at how Ranić sets up, he knows in the Premier League, I, I believe this straight away, because he's talked about how much he loves English football. He knows you've got to be aggressive and you've got to press. Teams that are not who are not aggressive, who are passive, and teams that do not press, do not win in the Premier League. You might get away with it in Serie A or another division somewhere abroad, but you've got to press in the Premier League, otherwise you fail. And this is going to be, I think, the, the core unfolding story for Manchester United now in the weeks ahead. Something that I do want to add to that, Rob, as well, is something that Ranić said himself after the game. He said, formations have to fit the players at your disposal. I'm a big fan of having each player playing in his best position or best possible position. I think that they, today was the case. I really, really like that, Rob, because I just I see a manager that comes in, looks at the squad at his disposal and is picking players to their strengths. Very, very early days. But what I really liked was that we saw... Players like McFred, and we'll talk about them a little bit later on, players who are much maligned, obviously we know their deficiencies, but players who are asked to do a certain role in the system who are very, very beneficial to that system. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about McFred spe specifically, you know, we've talked about him on this show how many times, and we've always said the reason they get picked is because they bring energy and aggression, because that's kind of what their games are in that double pivot. And what we saw in the 4-2-2-2 is that there is no double pivot. It's not a double pivot system. You know, they're not expected to be in those roles, but what they are, they are they are narrow, 
and they're expected to go and press and win the ball and press spaces. It's different to how Ole would do it, where Ole would maybe have six sitting. So you've just brought a graph up here. This is average positions. And obviously, people who are just joining us here on YouTube can see this, but obviously, if you're on Spotify, you can't. Please, please come to our YouTube channel and you'll be able to see all this content. And up here, we've got the average positions out for looking at kind of these two games that we've just had, Arsenal and Palace. Obviously, one, Arsenal was Michael Carrick. And two was a transition into Ranić. And as you can see here, and this is a key stat of where players are on the pitch, that it's got six players the wrong side of the halfway line. That doesn't mean that you're sitting in a low block. It doesn't mean that you're kind of doing mad defensive work. It just means you're doing the wrong stuff. You're the wrong side of the ball. You know, you're letting the opponent push into areas they want to push in. And then you've got all that space behind you. So you can see there you've got four forwards who are all, again, a little bit too tight. You're not using the width of the pitch. It's wrong vertically. It's wrong horizontally. It's all wrong. You know, it's just exactly what you don't want in a 4-2-3-1. But I was going to say, hey, Dave, you can go to the next one, and I can kind of just talk it straight through, is that when you look at the slide for Palace, it's completely different. All you've got is two centre-backs in your own half, and the game is being played in Crystal Palace's half. And that hurt Palace, because every time they got the ball, you saw someone in the fence look up, and all they could do was chip it over the top. It's literally all they could do. And Palace have not been like that this year. They're a passing team. You know, they're an energy team. And this and this system, you can see here, with those two centre-backs kind of holding the fort, and everyone else being aggressive, going forward, pushing the ball, pushing as high up as they could get, all the way through the centre of the pitch, all the way up to the number 10, there you can see. That's a beautiful average position for a first game for a coach. Because he'll take that away and go, that's what I want to see. And if they can do it on day one, I get the feeling they might be able to do it in week two, week three, week four, and so on. Well, Rob, there's a good comment here, or, or almost a question here from Cohen saying, Rob, are our players high Q higher than expected, having taken to the timing of the press so well? This is something I've been saying on the show for a long time, Rob, that a lot of people were, were ruling out a lot of players. I mean, look, there was Dallow, there was Tellez, there's Fred. Ronaldo, Rashford. I'm seeing a lot with Rashford at the moment on Twitter. Oh, they can't press. They can't do this. You know, these players aren't bad players. We've been saying this for weeks and weeks and weeks. They aren't bad players. They were just playing in an undefined system. They weren't getting the proper coaching. Oli structurally wasn't getting things right. Ranić spent 45 minutes with them. He would have been on with the video analysis. He would have been showing these players. These guys are smart. These players are smart. These players can, can go up a level. With this sort of coaching, you're going to see you're going to, some players are going to surprise you. We saw Diogo Dallo, for example, and we'll talk about him in a bit more detail. But you can see him. Let's talk about him now, Rob. You can see him up on the screen, very high. Both fullbacks, very, very high up. You know, they were providing the width. And one of the key things with Dallo for me, Rob, is how how progressive he was and how you know he was forward thinking in the build up. The goal came from Dallo. If that was Wamasaka, Rob, we wouldn't have scored that goal because Dallo. Went forward, dribbled, passed it into Mason. Mason held the ball up beautifully, then gave it to Fred, and Fred scored the absolute, absolutely most beautiful goal. Fred was fantastic. But when you see the importance of the fullbacks, you know, need to be good on the front foot, going high and wide, and play, playing crosses into the box as well. We saw that to Ronaldo. Ronaldo got up several times to knock it back. They're very, very key in the system, and it's players that you don't think are going to do that. I didn't think Dallo was going to do what he, he has done the last couple of games, but... It's really fantastic to see that when they've got an idea and there's an identity, there's a style of play, they know their positions. You're going to see players go to the next level. 
Yeah, and Dallo and Tellers are both wing-backs by trade, and this system encourages full-backs to go forward. So it's exactly what they want. There's no work to do behind. It's all about attacking. Get forward, be aggressive, get to the last man, you know, go there as quick as you can. Now, I think you just said there Wambasaka wouldn't do X, Y, and Z. I think you're going to see a totally different Aaron Wambasaka. So I think he'll come back into the team for the Champions League match. And I think if he's told to just go and be aggressive and go that way, I think you can do it. Of course you can do it. You know, talk about football IQ. There's no such thing as a footballer who has got low football IQ. You cannot be a footballer if you can't play football. What you have is tactics. You have to be taught stuff. You know, you have to have a coach that says to you, I like what you do here, but I do not like this. And that's that. So, for instance, McFred had a good game, but the manager did say after the game, there was two scenarios where both players passed the ball sideways. And he said to the press conference, I don't like that. I don't like those passes. So he'd have said that to those boys. He'd have gone, I don't want to see that again. And this is how you learn. And this is why it's all about progression. So I'm not worried at the moment. Like it was good to see the, the two fullbacks do what they do. But I think Luke Shaw will thrive in this system. He will be like wingback 101, pushing on like a nut job. You'll have Wambasaka being right up the pitch. Yeah, Aaron Wambasaka can't cross the ball like Delow. But if he's in the right areas, Haydar, it doesn't matter. You, you're going to get the ball in the box. You're going to find a way. So I feel good about that. And I think this is a reset point for all of the squad. Everyone need, now needs to come in and buy in to Ranić's tactics. And that means high press, high energy. But most importantly, and something I've said for a year, aggression. I want to see Manchester United be an aggressive football team because Liverpool are aggressive, City are aggressive, and that's why they win titles. I mean, look, some of the things Rob about United out of possession, we'll bring up the heat maps as well to compare, but just some of the things I, I saw from Manchester United out of possession, you mentioned aggressiveness was huge. Aggressive pressures, very, very different to just running around aimlessly. It was more yeah. methodical. There were triggers. The other thing I noticed, Rob, the high defensive line. United held that. Maguire and Lindelof were fantastic. Maguire was progressing the ball forward, Rob, into midfield. He hasn't done that all season. And that's what yeah. he was doing so well last season. I thought I think Lindelof has been sensational over the last couple of weeks since yeah. Oli's gone. And obviously, we've seen Carrick. Lindelof's going to surprise a few people because he's got the ball-playing ability, Rob, to play in that position. Just a, Just a few more things I picked up on is that... They were both intercepting the attack. So they were stepping out and they were being aggressive. They were stopping Palace before they could get going. Because Palace, Palace have a lot of pace on had a lot of pace on the counter. They have they're players that can hurt you. And Zaha did absolutely nothing all game. So that's what I like to see. And obviously, we talked about the compactness as well. Not, not many spaces between the lines, like we saw with when Oli was here. And uh look, if Manchester United can work on this obvious, obvious clear sort of off-the-ball structure. And they were they were able to you know knock down the counterattacks and the shots on tar- on target from the opposition. They managed to do that. They could do all these things going forward. They're going to be a very very difficult team to play. Exactly. And I think when you look at the average positions there for the Palace game, that heat map could or not sorry not the heat map but the average position map there could almost be Alex Ferguson's team. So that could be Vidic and Ferdinand's there at the back because the idea is it's not about pace in those areas. This is why we said it about ball carrying. It's about starting the attack from that first centre-back. And that's what Maguire likes to do. That's what Lindelof likes to do. If that's their roles and they're told to go and be aggressive, do you know what? It will happen once out of 100 times or once out of 50 times where they lose the ball and they get rinsed on the counter-attack and there's literally no one behind and they score a goal. That will happen. But United will score a lot more goals by playing that high line. And that's what's important. And you saw with Lindelof being aggressive on the halfway line with players around him, knowing he's got support as well, that when he gets that ball, he's playing a five or 10 yard pass. And as I said a few weeks ago, United's issue is that they're constantly playing 20, 
30, 40 yard passes. And that's difficult. If you do that, you're probably going to look stupid more than you look like a success. So that's what I really liked. I liked kind of the shape. It, it, it encouraged United to play uh, the, kind of more progressively and it joined the dots beautifully. And you see the players like Fred, like uh, I, I think Fred, let's take Fred actually. Fred's the guy who takes a lot of flack, doesn't he? He takes a hell of a lot of flack at Man United. And you can see that Fred the number six is not as good as Fred the number eight. So when he plays an eight position, like he, ha- he has done recently, he's a completely different player because he's getting in the box. He's getting in and around. That shot, like I was like, in line with him on the, on the line. And when he's kind of swung his boot at it, I kind of went, oh, well, don't, don't hit it from there. And what happens? It goes in the top corner. So that's about confidence, isn't it? You know, so next time he takes that shot, I might even feel more confident. But you can see on individual man by man basis that Ranić will work with his players. And this is why you bring in a new coach. This is why Ole had to go. Not whether it's a popularity contest, whether people like Ole or not, I really couldn't care about that, you know, two bits. I'm worried about Man United winning football matches. And I think Ranić's system suits us. Well, I mean, there's a there's a comment here, you know, Ranić versus Ole's press conferences. Yeah. Ranić makes me think he knows more about football than I do after listening to his pressers. Ole made me think I knew more than him about after listening to his pressers. Look, you sit there. I get that. Yeah, you sit there and you listen to Ranić and he, he just perfectly... My, my favourite favorite phrase from the weekend, and look, there were so many absolutely beautiful phrases he said. He said, McFred were omnipresent. Like, I thought McTominay yeah. had a poor game, Rob, but I love that. The omnipresent, I thought, how are you going to use that word in any sentence? Omnipresent. They were, like you said, a lot of people think, oh, look, they played together before kickoff. Oh, it's a double pivot. It's, it's defensive. They were not defensive at all. No. Them holding their shape, allowed you know for example bruno and sancho to be fluid you know they were playing in the half spaces they're playing in the channel and then they allowed the two split strikers for example if we were on the left hand side you see rashford push over to the left to create overloads there from the right hand side uh, ronaldo push over to the right with dallo and and mctomney to create overload uh, sorry with sancho to create overloads that's the key that you're going to see with ranks it's all very smart very methodical rob to be honest with you it's actually very basic in terms of it's nothing so you're not reinventing the wheel here. What, no. what Manchester United are doing under Ranić, though, Rob, is there's, there's repetition, there's an idea, there's a plan, there's execution. I think United's execution was off, but that will come with time. You know, in the final third, it, they did huff and puff a little bit. I don't think they created enough clear-cut chances. But on the screen here, we've got a graphic from Sky Sports and, and Football Daily. The biggest thing that stands out to me, Rob, if you look right at the bottom, it's the distance covered against Palace. Mm-hmm. Less than what we have for the rest of the season. I imagine that's an average. It says it's an average at the top. And the sprints as well, 132 uh, against Palace to 135.4 against uh, for, the, for the rest of the season. Sorry. So when you have a look at these statistics, Rob, Manchester United was smart. They played football smart, but they were compact. The shape was, was very, very good. But really, they ran less in some ways. Obviously, you look in the stats, it didn't look like it on the pitch. But that just shows the eye test can be very misleading because you look at Oli's side and think, you know, they don't. They don't work hard enough on the Ollie, but really they weren't coached smart enough and with enough structure to work well off the ball. Yeah, the eye test is still correct in the sense that, and, I, and again, I've said this about pressing. Pressing isn't running around like mad people. That's not what it is. You know Bruno Fernandes, how Bruno presses? In, in some days where nine United players won't press, but only Bruno will, and Bruno will run like a crazy person. That is not pressing. That's just running around. Pressing is a planned, methodical process of knowing who you need to press, whether it be the ball, the man, or the channel, one of the two or the three. You've got to pick it, and you've got to know what it is, and you've got to be trained 
up here in your brain. You know, today, Ranyuk has all talked about the brain a lot in his press conference, and we've talked about it on this show before, is that that's how it works. You get sort of physical idea and you turn it and manifest it into tactics. And that was what Ole didn't do. Ole had a kind of shape, 4 2 three, one they didn't really press anything. It was more about staying in shape. It was more about them moving the ball slowly, a lot of sideway passing like we've seen before, a lot of back and fronts. Kind of going from De Gea very slowly from out of the back, that wasn't happening there against Palace. It was all very quick. De Gea played as a sweeper keeper on the day. I don't know if people noticed that out of the camera. He spent he was out of his box by about 30 yards, so he wasn't on his line like he normally is or on the penalty spot. He was miles out. And that, all that did was make sure that Man United played football in the right part of the pitch. And I think, that, as you said, it's very basic. But what you do is to say to players and good players and players who've got intelligence is that this is the way I want to play. I'm the manager. If you do not play the way I want to play, you will not play. Goodbye. And it's really as simple as that. Take the ego out of it. Take the superstardom out of it. I don't care who you are. You do what the manager wants. And then you leave it on the manager. Do you get what I'm saying? So this is the whole thing with Ole. Is that I think Ole kind of got to a, a rock and a hard place where his tactics weren't working. He wanted to do another thing, but he wasn't brave enough to do it. And, and eventually you just lose games and that's the end of the project. But I think Ranić showed on day one that he's got his systems and he's going to make these players play them. And that's what made me really happy on the day. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Guys, get your questions in. We will answer. There's a good question here, Rob, um, regarding the sports psychologist. We'll touch on that at the end. Let's just get through the tactics mm. first. So make sure you get your questions in. We, I will come back to them. We want to answer as many as possible. Um, but Rob, look, we're going to bring up the heat maps as well from the Arsenal game and from the Palace games. We do want to show you know the differences. Obviously, I, I do want to talk a little bit about Michael Carrick and just a bit of a background. because I was quite surprised to see him go after the game against Arsenal, obviously. One, mm -hmm. I mean, I was surprised. And, you, and you're seeing Mike Feeling still here, so that surprised me as well. But what's sort of the background story to that? <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's going to be here much longer. Apparently, you're seeing reports that he is uh, he is feeling like he's being sidelined. I mean, look, that's going to happen when, when a new manager comes in. But looking at this heat map here against Arsenal, I thought one of the, the good things that Carrick did when he came in is he steadied the ship. May night were organised. Okay, it wasn't it wasn't Ranić football, but, you know, they were much more organised than under Oli. And you can see here the heat map, though. It's still not particularly good, is it? It isn't what you want to see from a, from a side who, uh, who have aspirations of being, you know, top four and beyond. It's a, it's a complete disastrous heat map, first and foremost. Look, there's like no attacking play happening there at all. It's, all. it's all the wrong way. It's all too deep. It's all very fat to the left and the right at the back. It's not what you want to see in a kind of heat map. And, and I think the thing was that United, United won this game against Arsenal. And this is the... You know, we talk about winning games being the most important thing, and it is. You know, you've got to go and win, and whether you play badly or well or whatnot, you've got to go and get the result. United beat Arsenal 3-2, but the 4-2-3-1 was horrendous. It was a joke. People were exposed. United were getting deeper. Thankfully, Arsenal were the old Arsenal. Good old Arsenal turning up and being the old Arsenal not really helping things for themselves. So that was good on United's thing. But if you look at this heat map here, if we flick now to the other heat map that we've got, and this is the heat map for Crystal Palace. And what do you see straight away? Well, you see, obviously, that the heat is all more towards the centre of the pitch from left to right. De Gea is kind of isolated there on the penalty spot, but all of the team are in front of him. And on that left-hand side, this was the tactic. That heat there is Ronaldo, it's Rashford, and it's Bruno. So they're the three players going into that area to exploit 
on the counter press. So that is what they're doing there. Is that that is obviously something Ranić looked at and he's gone. Get at their right side, get their right side in midfield and their right back and get at them and pull the weight of the team into that heated zone. And you can see that there. It's really hot there on the left-hand side. And that's with United not playing a winger system. 4-2-2-2 could not be more narrow if you tried. But that allows Teles to move forward on the left. It allows those guys on the left-hand side of the pairings to go there. And it means that you win the ball back. So that's what United did. The other difference there is touches. So I think on the last one, we had around 500 touches of the ball. And as you can see here, we had 735 touches of the ball. It's like almost 150 to 200 touches more in a game. Now, that's what I judge it on. We won 1-0, so it's three points. So I'm okay with that. We might have scored three goals against Arsenal, but it was horrible to watch. Horrible old system not working, and a system that doesn't help Ronaldo, a system that doesn't help Bruno Fernandes, doesn't help any of the team, you can see with the shape. And I think that was a kind of bowing out point for Michael Carrick. Like Ranić said, like I, I put on Twitter before about the systems, and I said that day I thought it would be 4-2-2-2, and Ranić might have had input in there. And what happened, the game starts, it's 4-2-3-1, I look like an idiot. But then Ranić did say after the game that he met Michael Carrick two or three days before. So you're telling me they're not discussing systems or what they want to do. So Carrick said in that time that he was thinking of staying, and he was, but he got to that end point, and when they met, he said then he decided that he was going to leave. So we don't know what was in that conversation because it was a private one, but we do know that suddenly Michael Carrick two days later was like, pay me off, I'm off, thanks a lot. So, you know, you were saying they like expected Carrick to stay. I don't mind that he's gone. You know, I think he's been a great servant for Manchester United, but I was really disappointed that his last system that he played as the manager, even though he did win the game, and that's what matters, was 4-2-3-1. Dull, regressive, reductive, just nasty. And it was a hard game of football, and United won it, so we're okay. But then you saw against Palace what Man United can do. And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what this manager can now do with his, with his set of players. Yeah, it's a really good point. And like you, you mentioned that the 4 2 3 didn't really help Ronaldo. We saw that. And we actually are going to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, guys, because we're going to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo and the Gagan pressing. But you also look, Rob, at Fred McTominay. We spoke about two players much maligned. Like I said, I thought McTominay was, wasn't great. I think he's got a lot of work to do in terms of being able to play the system. But I thought mm -hmm. Fred was fantastic. You saw as well with the fullbacks in this system, as you mentioned, narrow. The fullbacks can, are the ones that have to provide that width. And they were, they were much more involved. They're fantastic. Bruno Fernandes benefits, I think, playing in a 4-2-2-2, in my opinion. He's got the energy to play. I mean, the, those two players in the number 10 positions, the Sancho and Bruno, it could be Van der Beek and Pogba. It could be, you know, it could be even be Rashford in there. It could be Martial in there. There's a lot of options for Manchester United. But when you have a look at the, that position, and Ranić said himself, that's the hardest position on the pitch, isn't it? You've got to work the hardest. You've got to be the creators as well. You've got to do everything. And I think... What, what I was most impressed with is how quickly these players did take to the system. I know we mentioned yeah. it earlier about the IQ. That's what I was impressed with. But let's talk about Ronaldo because Cristiano Ronaldo is someone that we've discussed many, 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 many times, Rob, on this podcast. Myself and you have agreed. You've disagreed. But there's a good comment here from Vincent saying, surely he used his system so that he could play Ronaldo with a partner. This narrow structure suits our players. Fantastic. Great, great comment. Spot on. Mm -hmm. What I will say about Cristiano Ronaldo, Rob, is that Manchester United can find a way to win with him in, in my opinion. And Ranić showed that there is ways to play Ronaldo while not hindering the system. Is he the most perfect presser? No. Is he the best? Is he the player that's going to work the hardest? No. But 
what Ronaldo did very, very well, Rob, for me is that he did, he understood what his role was. I mean, you know, he was closing the lanes rather than obviously going to the person, to the, to the player. And we're going to talk about that now, but he also held the ball up well. There's quite a few times where he'd have crosses from Dallo or from Tellez. He'd hold the ball up well. And at the end of the day, Rob, if he's going to do the defensive work, which he did, then he's going to play because he's he's going to be the sort of player that will find opportunities to score goals. And that was a problem though, wasn't it, for you, that he wasn't, it, it was not benefiting the system to have him as that first wave press. But now with the compactness behind and the players behind him to also do the work, if Ronaldo does do what he's asked to do, then there's no issues really with that defensive line. No, look, my, my issue with Cristiano in a 4-2-3-1 was that when he was the one at the top, he was stood literally on, on the centre circle, right in the middle of it, with his hands on his hips for most of the game until the ball came to him. So that's an issue if you play 4-2-3-1. So what do you do? You either change the player or you change the system. So I think we've all kind of agreed that 4-2-3-1 is broken, which is why I didn't want to see it against Arsenal. We saw at Chelsea, they played 4-3-3, Ronaldo got dropped. I think that was the right decision because you played a false nine and Ronaldo can't be the false nine. So we went from playing a 4-3-3, which got United a good result against a good team at Chelsea, to then playing a 4-2-3-1 uh, after a Villarreal result, which was pretty good as well. And, and then going back to old ways. And it was almost like testing the water out, you know, what do you do with Ronaldo? So in a 4-2-2-2, I described it on Twitter as a Ronaldo-friendly system. So that's good for Ronaldo. Why? Because this is the Red Bull system. This is what uh, Ranić has employed with all of the Red Bull teams and instructing them as a director of football to play. To play this kind of narrow funnel system, which allows you to play effectively with two number 10s. So that's exactly how Ranić described it after the game. He said it's a, it's a, two, it's a two number 10 system. What is that? So... You look at uh, the players, you've got your two two midfielders that sit deeper. They're effectively six and eights, so they can do that and go and do that job. But then the two number 10s have really got the, the, um, the ability to go and create. So they can go left, they can go right in terms of defensive function. But then going forwards, they can go and support the forwards. You know, with those two players at the top. So you've got Rashford, you've got Ronaldo, and then you can set traps. So I, I keep saying this word set traps and I keep I people got saying to you, what do you mean? And what we say about setting traps is that it's not a case of just me being told to go and pick a man like, you know, Rashford saying, go and get the right back. What they'll say is there is a part of the pitch that's a weakness for the opponent. So overload it. So it might be the left. It might be the right. It might be the center. But it's about bodies and getting in there and that counter press. So when, when they get the ball and they're coming at you, you find a way. So that's what Ronaldo must be part of, Haydar. If in the weeks to come, the Ronaldo is not part of that, then there will be issues and there will be questions on him because it has to be like that. So this is the whole thing. I, I've got none of this kind of celebratory side of it. That, that he played well, and I think he did. He really played well in that game. I was happy that he went and closed the lane down. He helped Rashford. He did the hard work. And with 10 minutes to go, he looked knackered. You could see for 80 minutes, Cristiano Ronaldo put a shift in for the new manager. And that's what I want. But we now need to see it every game because it's not his natural game. Someone like Cavani would be able to do it with his eyes closed. He'd be able to do that function because that's just what his game is. Now it's up to Cristiano to add some bite because he did the work, but he wasn't particularly dangerous. He wasn't really scoring. He wasn't really on the end of things, maybe creating. So that is the balance I think that Ranić needs to find is that if you've got Ronaldo in your team, you also want Ronaldo in the box and fresh and ready that when the ball comes to his feet, he's going to find the top corner, the bottom corner or win you a football match. 
And that was a little bit short against Palace. You know, they were trying to work it out with the press. It's totally understandable in the second half that they retired. And for that, the XG was done, was massively down. You know, it was like 0 point something. But if you win the game 1-0, Haydar, it's all good. Win every game 1-0, you're, you're, you're going to win a title. That's how it works. So it doesn't need to be 2 or 3 or 4 nil or spectacular every week. It just needs to be consistent. Yeah, I mean, there's a great comment here, Rob, saying that I maintain that Ronaldo is a team player and he would do whatever is necessary as long as it means his team is winning, that guys are winning and he finds a way. Another comment as well from Asoka saying, Ronaldo won the ball three times in Palace's half that day. As much as he's done in the entire season combined, the mm. issue isn't Ronaldo can't press. That's what I've been saying. But it's what uh, he is that he wasn't asked to do it. I think, Rob, that's a very fair yeah. point. It's something I did say, though, you know, on the last few podcasts before Oli got sacked, I did say that, we're saying, obviously, Ronaldo can't do this, can't do that. But the, the team was was broken. The team didn't know their roles. They didn't know what to do in and out of possessions. So that's why I want to see... I'm, I'm giving everyone a clean slate. I'm even giving Martial a clean slate, for example, someone that I get very frustrated with. Every single player, if Ranić thinks that they could do a job better than player X, let's say, if Ranić thinks that Martial is better than Marcus Rashford up front and he's better for the system, I'm game for that, Rob. Because I, I, have, I have belief and trust that one, Ranić's come in and we know exactly how he wants to play. We know exactly the identity, what he expects from the players, what he wants in these roles. It's been one game and we already know what he wants from the two number 10s, what he wants from the strikers up front, what he wants from the fullbacks, the centre-backs, what he wants uh, from you know the two playing in midfield. We know this and this is what he'll expect. So if there's players in this squad, it doesn't matter if they're someone's favourite player or not, but if they can do that role, then they're going to they're gonna start. And that's fantastic. That's how it should be. Meritocracy is important, but... I do want to talk about Marcus Rashford because he played up front with Ronaldo and the comments, a lot of comments are saying that Ronaldo benefited from having a player up front next to him. I agree with that completely. You know, you're playing in, playing in that duo. But Marcus Rashford is getting a lot of sick, Rob. I'm seeing it. It's just, it's just, it's crazy what I'm seeing. And we have to reiterate that these players have had one training session mm-hmm. and it's going to take time for them to learn all of the pressing triggers, you know, being able to be fit enough to do that as well. We're in mid-season. They don't have a preseason to do that. Considering all these things, okay, Rashford maybe wasn't great on the ball, but off the ball, he worked extremely hard. He is going to be very key in the system. That's why all that heat's there on the left. That's most of that's Marcus Rashford. So, you know, the, the, the whole point of it is, is that Marcus has his pluses and his minuses, what he's good at and what he's not so good at. But again, when you when you read Twitter, and I try not to, I really like I've, I've for a long time I've had this policy just I don't read Twitter in general because a lot of the opinions are just like skyrocketed madness. You know, it's not got nothing to do with football at the end of the day. It's just about people shouting. Uh, when you look at uh, what Marcus does, Marcus had what was it thirty six goal involvements last year, and that is kind of in the top ten percent in his position in Europe. So you know. That's what I would say if I was Marcus to anyone who said I'm not particularly good. So I'm hitting my numbers. But yes, I get that. That I think at the moment with Rashford, and I would say it for Sancho as well, that neither of the two boys are fit yet because they've both had problems. With Sancho, he's not started games, so he's still trying to find that rhythm with his fitness. And with Marcus, you can just see he's not a top. He's just not a top notch yet. You know, when he runs, it's not Marcus Rashford. It's a player, you know, chugging along, trying to get that energy back, trying to get that that deep level of fitness back that you need to when you're a professional footballer. So give players time. Like I mean, like you just said there, I just don't have any favourites at football. I just never have. 
I just want the team to win and the team to play well. So I don't care if it's Ronaldo up top or if it's Alanga. I just care that United win the game and play well. That's all I care about. There's no fanboyism about it. And that's what I want to see with Ranić. Ranić's going to come to the club and he's going to pick the players that will give him what he wants. I really believe that. Whereas I think with Ole, he just got to that point where he felt he had to play Ronaldo and when it wasn't working with Ronaldo, he couldn't change it. And Bruno then wasn't working. He just completely lost his way as a manager. I don't think we'll get it with this coach. I think this coach will kind of reset all those boundaries and he'll say, you're here to do a job. If you don't do the job, you just won't play. And you'll see, I think, the fringe players getting more time, but also looking better. I think when they come on the pitch, they won't look like fringe players. They'll look like players that have been coached within a system. I mean, look, Rob, there's a comment here saying, you know, Rashford needs to sit on the bench uh, and become hungry. It's, I, I just don't agree with that. I don't not because it's no, Rashford. I just don't agree with. It's just fan perception is just nonsense. I mean, when is what's he shown? Hungry thing. Yeah. What's his hungry thing? What's it mean? Like this is the whole thing. Is Ronaldo That's hungry? Question, he's won like a billion Ballon d'Ors. Like it, it, uh, I, this is the whole thing about the the kind of Twitterverse is that it's got nothing to do with hunger. The boy has been injured and he's had three major injuries in like in, in two years, and you can see that in his game. Um, so I think uh, I don't disagree in that maybe he needs to go and sit on the bench. I think it would help him in certain games. And United have been over-reliant on Marcus Rashford, haven't they, for 12 to 18 months. You know, he plays every game, even when he's carrying bad injuries. But like you said, Haydar, a lot of this, again, is about perception, and you just get this whole Rashford bashing thing. And and again, I'm trying to play, uh, apply this to all the players, where there were some people bashing Sancho before. And then on the flip yeah, side, yeah, yeah. on the flip side, you get Van der Beek, who wasn't very good last year, and gets like lauded like he is a Ballon d'Or winner or something. So it's weird. It's like there's no middle ground. Get on the football pitch and prove it. Get a manager that will give you tactics and then interpret those tactics to become winning football. And I think at least now we've got a coach that can do that. Look, you know, it's fair to say here, you know, Rashford needs to improve his finishing and timing his runs. Yeah, that's legitimate. But when we, people question players' hunger, it's just, you're not sitting there in the dressing room. We don't know what they're doing. And then I just, I'm sorry to say, Rob, but I, whatever I saw under Oli in those final, final, let's say, couple of months, I'm looking at all these players now in a different light, only because the system was so broken. It was so bad that I just, mm. I think now it's a clean slate. And that's how I'm looking at them now. I'm excited to see what Randy can do with players that we might think, Aren't uh, aren't players that we thought would be here at the club? I mean, for example, you know Diogo Dalla, we mentioned already, but I didn't think we'd see that performance we saw the other day. I knew he had talent, but he couldn't defend. Um, but I thought he was really, really good on the front foot. And one little stat I want to bring up, Rob, before we move on to preview the young boys' game is that Maynard made seventy-seven passes into the final third. That's the most all season. <laughs> I mean, it's Mad. it's a great stat. That is absolutely yeah. crazy, but it just shows that these boys are capable. That's the first thing, and I don't subscribe to the idea this squad isn't a good squad there's some fantastic players actually Rob before we move on to young boys there is a question here from Mawson saying mm-hmm. uh, let's talk about Pogba where does he fit in the system and do you think yep. he's on his way out uh, that's another thing as well now Pogba's getting the bashing I think Pogba will probably leave but Pogba can thrive Rob in the deeper position or he can thrive in one of the number 10 positions he is one of our best uh, players in terms of vertical passes isn't he he's one of the best passes in the team I am actually very, very excited to see what happens with Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba is very, very excited to play under Ralph Ranić. I know there's obviously a whole load of people that can't stand Paul Pogba. I don't really care about that because I'm excited to see, uh, you know, a potentially world-class player, someone with world-class talent, under a manager who is an absolutely, uh, you know, absolutely top tactician and someone who 
is focused on getting the most out of the players, playing in their best position. So I'm excited to see where he plays Paul Pogba. If you apply the 4-2-2-2 that they use against Palace and kind of take that maybe as the means test going forward, that that's a system that they will play repeatedly, Paul Pogba will love that system. He can play as one of the two number 10s. And as I've said, the, it's not a double pivot. So you're not stuck next to Harry Maguire holding his hand. You're playing as kind of the six and eights. So you can get the ball and you can progress the ball. And the whole idea is that that system allows you to play shorter passing and more accurate passing. So you're not saying to Paul, get the ball and hit me a 40-yard ball in a channel. And Marcus, you better run after it. Because all of that's a little bit about luck. You know, the ball needs to be perfect. The run needs to be perfect. Paul Pogba can play this style of football in his sleep. Yeah, so I, again, I, I saw a lot of that again after the game. People were like, you know, oh, we found a system and a manager now and Ben Pogba, it's like, he's not even there. What are you blaming Paul Pogba for? He's not even at the ground. It's like, just just take a day off. You know, so this is the whole thing is that like, I get accused, people say to me about Ronaldo and they say, oh, you don't like Ronaldo. It's not about that. It's about systems and about what you do in the system. I think Pogba would suit this system. But at the same time, there's probably several other players in the midfield now that you can put in that system and still make it work. And I think that's the most important thing. It's not about one player, certainly not about Paul Pogba. It's about a system that allows you to go and win games week after week after week. Palace is a really good test because they're a good team. They're a better team than people give them credit for. And Vieira set the team up so well this year in a 4-3-3. And United stopped them, absolutely stopped them at the source and we haven't seen United do that this season. United haven't been able to stop teams that attack them in 4-3-3. They've just got wrecked and destroyed. So I think that, that fans is just kind of chill and just allow Ranić to pick players now. And let's have a look at who does well. You just said there you highlighted Delo. Well, Delo didn't have to do any defending against Palace, really, just because of the shape. So that's all good. So let's see the games where he maybe is under a little bit more pressure before we kind of say that he's a successful part of this team. Everyone's got a chance now to impress. Absolutely. And guys, we're going to preview Young Boys as well. Now, uh, the game later on today. Make sure to hit the like button, hit the subscribe button and uh, share this with all your friends, your family, everyone at work. We want to grow this masterclass family. Rob, so here on the screen, we have a formation of 4-3-3 and uh, you've selected some players here. So I'm going to go through them as Henderson and Goss. This is for the game later on. Um, against young boys. Yeah, Rob's selection, not uh, Ranić's selection. <laughs> so we've got Henderson in goal and Ranić has confirmed that Henderson and Van der Beek will play, I believe, hasn't he? So yep. it'll be Wambasaka. You've selected Wambasaka, Mengi. I'm very surprised we see Mengi, but I'd love to see Mengi play. Maguire and Tellez. Then McTominay, Matic and Fred in midfield. Then you've got Greenwood with Van der Beek as a false sign and Alanga. Alanga was electric when he came on. I didn't realise how quick he was, Rob. You're hearing all the reports that he's really impressed Ranić and in training and it's great to see you know young players come through because i think i'm not trying to say ollie here but you know you hear about how he brought all these young players through there was a lot of these young players that didn't really play barring mason greenwood you know alanga played a handful of games we didn't see enough youth come through so i, mean, I am interested to see more youth play um but when you're looking at the side rob it's very very interesting you've gone for the false nine system what are your thoughts on donny van, van der beek in that position could can he do what bruno fernandez does because i think I'd prefer probably to see Donny in the 4-2-2-2. We're going to bring that up later. But I, I'm not too sure, you know, whether the false nine system would get the most out of him, in my opinion. I think you do it better than Bruno. That's why I'm putting him in there. So why, why do I think that? The whole thing with a false nine is it's not about, again, running around like a mad person. It's about knowing where to press, when to press. And then when you've got the ball, what can you do? 
There's no doubt for me that Donny van der Beek as an instinctive passer, like a one-touch passer, is better than Bruno at that. So as a false nine, that's what I want. I want a false nine dropping a little bit deeper into that pocket and picking the pocket, turning, seeing Alanga make the run and sliding the ball through. Now, Bruno can do that. I'm giving them a little bit of a disservice. But we see that Bruno's simple game can sometimes be a little bit squashed. So why would I pick 4-3-3 now when we've seen that 4-2-2-2 worked so well against Palace? Well, this isn't a 4-3-3. And people say, well, look, that looks like a 4-3-3. If you flick to the next slide very, very quickly there, Haydar, is that I will be looking at the system being a 4-3-3 to start off with, but then you can see that at the same time, this team is a 4-2-2-2. So that's the whole idea about systems, is that you don't just do one. You don't just do 4-2-3-1 until it's dead and you get sacked. That's a problem. What I want to see from Ranić, and we will see, I 100% guarantee you, is we will see different systems in the weeks ahead. It is not just going to be 4-2-2-2 every week on repeat. He's going to use different systems. Can we flip back to the 4-3-3, Haydar? So the reason why I want to see a 4-3-3 is that I thought at Chelsea it worked really well on the front foot. It didn't work particularly well on the back foot. So what happened against Chelsea? United did retreat. They got scared. They went deep. They went deep. They went deep. But for the game, the part of the game where they went forward, they looked good. The false nine worked. The kind of three at the front together worked nicely in terms of a a pressing shape. And if you've got their Greenwood, Van der Beek and Alanga at the top, there's a ton of energy there. Yeah, you've got got two wider players who who can run until they're blue in the face with Greenwood and Alanga. And then you've got someone like Van der Beek who can also drop into the midfield, meaning you've got a midfield diamond. So Matic can drop a little bit deeper. You can play 4-4-2 like that and play a diamond system. You can go to the 4-2-2-2 later on in the game. It's all about flexibility. So I want to see a flexible system. Just on the picks there, Wambasaka, I think, has to play. No doubt about it. You know, he's been out of the team. He was obviously the primary right back. I think it's right to bring him back in. I've picked Mengi there because I think that playing a system that United are playing now and playing this kind of front-footed pressing style, I think that even though he's aggressive, I'm not quite sure about Bailly's brain. Yeah, I'm not quite sure that Bailly can time it and do it right. But he's really good at running at people and then smashing them into Rose Ed. And I don't want that. I want someone who's actually got the pace but can do it. Mengi is a highly intelligent player. Yeah, Mengi is a reader of the game, but he can do all sorts of stuff. He can do kind of midfield roles. He can go wider. He can read the fullback a little bit more. He can work in tandem with Maguire a bit. We saw when Bailly played with Maguire, what happened is that they kind of went like that and then there was like a whole motorway through the middle and obviously we got we got done in, in Champions League for that. Maguire nearly got sent off in that moment. So I don't want to see that again. Bailly will play, but I want to see Bengi. But when we look at the midfield and it's a three and a three, I think with Tomine, Fred and Matic pick themselves because you need the energy if you're going to play 4-3-3. Three, three. Other people might say, oh, would you drop a Lingard in there? Would you play Van der Beek deeper? All this. Potentially, but I want to see something on the front foot. And then that allows Greenwood to get in the box, Alanga to get in the box. And it allows Van der Beek to pull all the strings dropping out as a full stein. So that's how I would play 4-3-3. Will we definitely see it? I'm not sure. If we go back to the 4-2-2-2, Haydar, you can see there in that shape of what they did at Palace, that if they replicate this in the Champions League, then there wouldn't be too much of a problem either. Fred forward in the, in the number eight position, getting in the box. Van der Beek hopping around the peripheral there. And then you look at uh, Greenwood and Alanga being strikers. They can certainly do what Ronaldo and Rashford did against Palace, no doubt about it. Set traps, 
press high, win the ball back really, really high in the box, and then move it along. Five, 10, 15-yard balls, but do it quickly so you get the ball into Greenwood. And then Greenwood, I think, will get the ball isolated in the box. I think he scores. Well, a lot of, Rob, there's a lot of uh, comments asking, what about Ahmad Diallo? And you expect him to get Definitely. some game done. Look, he's yeah, he's a he, he's a fantastic talent, and yeah, look, he's had injuries. He's he's not gone on loan now, so I think he will play some game time for us. And it'll be interesting to see because he'll have the energy to play, uh, you know, in one of those number ten positions. He could probably play up front as well. When he was at Atlanta in the mm -hmm. uh, in the academy, he did play up front or a false nine position as well. So when you're looking at, well, I'm going to bring the previous one up as well, Rob. Look, guys, by the way, this is just what Rob wants to see. This isn't what he thinks is going to happen. I think a lot of people say that this team is never going to play. I'll be very, very surprised, Rob, to see this team. Play, my selection. It's my Rob's selection. It's Rob's selection, not yeah. what he thinks. Is I think happen. the shapes will play. Will be played. Yeah, the shapes, but he's the personnel knows. So, you know, that's just to reiterate that. But if you're looking at this formation here, I would drop Van der Beek back into one of those midfield positions if we were going to go 4-3-3. Mm -hmm. And I'd put Ahmad possibly as a, as a false nine. Or someone like Alanga possibly as a false nine. Because I think they that... Um, I think Van der Beek... Who, Ahmad? Or can, Alanga, can Alanga or Ahmad play as a I think, false nine role? And, I think, and do the press as kids? Well, that's what we'll have to see. I think I Ahmad can do that. Not, 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 not immediately. Like this is the whole thing. This is all about progress. And well, can so, like, Van der Beek I, do it though, Rob? That's in, the in that show, yeah, I think Van der Beek's twenty-four years old. Like, yeah, he should be able to do it. He's done it. He did it at Ajax for years, so he he can play that system. I think the thing is, is that I definitely want to see Ahmed get game time, but at the right time. So I think Alanga came on, and I was really impressed in that ten or fifteen minutes. And like you highlighted, it's been said that in training he's been electric. He's been really, really good, finishing well, got all the pace in the world. And he can press until the cows come home. I definitely want to see Ahmed in there, but there's no point in kind of letting the, the horse bolt the stable here. You know, like again, people want to kind of see everything all in one go. No, let's slow it down a bit. So in that midfield, do I want Van der Beek being compromised in a midfield three with McTominay and Fred and maybe getting stuck on the halfway line or too deep where he can't affect the game? No, I want to see Van der Beek in a box or around the box. Give him that freedom to do that. He has to check in and out. And being a false nine is so much different to being a number nine. So I look at Ahmed, and Ahmed can definitely play one of the roles. If we go to the next one again, the 4-2-2-2, when you go back to that, you could play Ahmed where Fred plays there. So you could play Van der Beek and Ahmed together. But I'm doing this in partnerships. So McTominay and Matic are one. Van der Beek and Fred are two. And Greenwood and Langer are three. They're partnerships. I don't think Ahmed's going to look after Van der Beek the way that Fred would look after Van der Beek and vice versa. So that's the why, why I pick teams like that. That's why I look at it like that. Whereas I think Greenwood and Alanga having freedom at the top and also having energy, they can go and do that. You could play Ahmed instead of Alanga as, an, as a kind of, as one of the two strikers. And I think he'd love that. He'd be in the box and trickery and, you know, ball, be able to get the ball and maybe dribble into the box and gr letting Greenwood do screening runs off him. That would look great. But, Let's just wait. I think Ahmed needs some more performances off the bench. You know, we've hardly, we've not even seen him, have we? So give him 10, 15, 20 minutes in games. Hopefully he will get game time in this match. I'd love to see him get half an hour um, if everything goes well and getting him into one of those attacking roles. I don't want to see him as one of the tens, though. He's not, I don't think he's one of the creative players at the moment who, who can have that influence just yet. I think he could be in the future, but he's 18 and a bit, you know, he's a kid. So we have to treat these kids like they're kids sometimes and make sure they've got partners next to them that will look after them. I'd still send Ahmed on loan, to be honest with you, Rob. 
Um, you know, I think he's yeah. he, he's got such a high ceiling, but I still would. I know that he's meant to go on loan to find all the PSV one or two, but he got injured and he hasn't. But look, he's going to be a massive asset for May United in the future, and this system Great suits player. him. Yeah, really, really, he's he's electric, and I, I'm look, I'm just excited because there's a lot of options here, and I know this is still the same squad, and there are a lot of people down on the squad, but under new management, under new, uh, you know, under new tactics, under new system, under new guidance. Some of these players are really going to surprise us and some players won't and they will be shipped out. And that's the way it should be, Rob. And hopefully there's going to be an identity going forward with Ranić that I've seen a lot of um, comments that if Ranić goes and wins the Champions League, look, this is obviously just a hypothetical. He should keep the job. I actually want to bring that to you and then as, as we close the show, because yeah. in my opinion, Rob, I think that Manchester United should stick to the plan for once in, in their lives, stick to the plan at the top. Don't get taken over by sentimentality like we did when Oli got the job after Paris. Again, I was not happy, not not happy with that. I was not um, agreeing with sort of the, the reasoning behind that. I felt like it was a very sentimental decision. I think Manchester United should do the same thing again. We're looking at Ranić. Ranić's job is to come in to hold the fort for six months, implement obviously this counter-pressing system, and then move upstairs and then build the club from the inside because that's what Manchester United need in my opinion. It depends what the words move upstairs mean. So if the word move upstairs was to become sporting director, great. What we've heard in the last few days is that's not what the plan is. So kind of you're saying they stick to the plan. I think it's more stick to the plan that we hoped it would be when obviously he was given this kind of consultancy role for two and a half years. Um, what it looks like is that that will not be the case, is that he will be involved with Manchester United in a consultancy role. But he won't be really part of it. So he will help. Uh, flush out the projects to get to a certain level. I think if a manager wins a Champions League, you can't not give them the job because they're showing. It's about football's about winning, right? Rob, Di Matteo, Di Matteo won the Champions League. Yeah, but he was he was rubbish. Like, but Di Matteo's not Ranić. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I know, but still, it's, it, it's... It, it, it would be like giving the job to Fergie for six months. Fergie win the Champions League, and going, just go upstairs, Fergie, because that's the plan. I think the problem is is that we need to see better stuff on the pitch. And we saw better stuff on the pitch against Palace, but I refuse to get too high because we've got to keep seeing it now. It's got to be about consistency. So if Ranić does it so consistently, like Tuchel did at Chelsea, managed to get away and you win the Champions League, it would be foolhardy, I think, to then go, well, go and sit in the boardroom where you cannot affect these boys. Now, he can be part of the master plan. If he was going to be the sporting director for five to ten years, Haydar, I'm all for that. But that is not the plan. That is not we, the plan. We don't know plan. that yet, though. No, he's going to be a consultant. Now, he's talked about this quite openly and said that what's been offered to him is about staying part of the Manchester United scheme, you know, so you could be anywhere in the world, but you would still be part of us, you know, so you could be doing a job in America, but you're still going to be a consultant for us on the board. I'm not down with that. I don't want that. I mean, it's just absence. Someone earning a wage, doing a job remotely from a million miles away. I want people on the training pitch, Adar. I want people who go there and say, you're a good footballer. I can make you better. Now, if Pochettino's available, yeah, I get it. If you have got someone who fits your system perfectly or someone that your project looking forward is ideal and they're available, I get it. But if Ranić goes and wins the Champions League, we play 4-2-2 all season and we play brilliantly... I'm certainly not against him getting the managership. He is the manager. He's a manager. He's a coach. And if he thinks that coaching is the best way to do it, he even said, I might advise after six months that I get the job. And people laughed at that. But he's telling the truth. He's like, if I can make this team better and we can win, 
I'm kind of up with, I'm up, you know, I want to do that. I want to, I want to prove myself as a manager and show what I can do. You know, he's called the professor for a reason. And he's, he's a football tactician. Now he builds football clubs as well, but we're not Red Bull, right? We're not trying to build from a, from a nothingness to something. Yeah, to something. We're Manchester United. Yeah. We're one of the biggest clubs in the world. We need to win games on a football pitch and it starts on the training pitch. So for me, that's the way I look at it is that I'm not, I'm not down one way or the other. I'm not like, oh, I don't want Ranić to be the manager. I do want Ranić to be the manager. I'm saying that if he goes and wins the Champions League and United play really good football for six months, you cannot say to him, bye, Ralph, go upstairs because now we've suddenly gone and got Poch. You know, and Poch gets sacked at, at PSG. Okay, can, I, can I just, can we're I just interject? The manager on that can, basis. I, can, can I just interject there? Because so <laughs> I, I agree. Look, Ralph Ranić, Ralph Ranić, if, obviously, if he goes and does brilliant things, that's that's good. But Rob... He's 63 years old as well. Manchester United need to think about bringing in a more younger progressive. In my opinion, if, if let's say Eric Ten Hag is there and say, I'm just saying, for example, we know Pochettino's situation. Let's say Eric Ten Hag is there, the club like Ten Hag. Pep is still in a role at Manchester City. I think it's more of a regret for Manchester United to wait and obviously stick with Ranić rather than go and get the next best thing on the market and then build. Because someone like Ten Hag, I'm just saying, for example, could be at the club for five, six, seven, eight more years. And with Rannick's guidance at the top and we fixing what's happening internally, that's a much better long-term fit for Manchester United than, okay, give it to Rannick because he's won the Champions League, in my opinion. It's, it, it, it's, it, off, I, it's I, off the whim. It's, it's going yeah. against the plan. I think, I think what you're saying is a complete flawed hypothetical because ultimately, when you look at it, 63 is not old. He could be at the club for another 10 years easily as a manager, easily. So, you know, it, it looks at people talking about people's health and stuff like that. It's very, very kind of off the wave to kind of assume stuff like that. So we look at someone like um, uh, Ten Hag. We've already highlighted in our previous videos that Ten Hag and Ranić systematically might not work. Ten Hag does not play counter-pressing style. Ranić does. So Ranić was running it at the top end of the pitch. You know, he's there in the boardroom saying, right, I want to see 4-2-2-2 and I want to see it built through counter-pressing. You might find that Ten Hag goes, no, I don't want to do that. I'm a Cruyffism coach. I want to see Cruyffism. Now, that would be a problem, wouldn't it? So you've got to look at all of the variables. So I'm just saying it from a simple, simple standpoint. You've got to keep it simple. And that is that if a manager wins the Champions League, you give him the job. You've got to, you know, unless he's going to be sporting director where he then controls everything, great. But he's not going to, Murto's going to do that. Yeah, but Murto's he wouldn't have taken the job if he didn't have influence. We've seen it with Yeah, Randy he's going to have influence. Enough. Yeah, yeah but that's what, 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 is it, in, what is influence? What is influence? You know, what does that mean? You know, so the whole point is I don't want him having influence living in Miami doing an MLS club and doing Man United on the side. Not interested in that. I would rather give him all the keys to the kingdom and say, you've got the tactics, you've got the brain, you're the professor. They've got Klopp as a manager. The other lot have got Pep. I want someone with the biggest brain doing the job. I don't need it to be a plan. You know, it doesn't need to be a plan. It needs to just work. And I think when you get someone like Ten Hag, is that, say Ajax crashed the rest of the season, his stock plummets. You see that Pochettino might get sacked at PSG, his stock plummets. Rogers' but, stock, look at it. Look at his stock st over the last couple of months. Who's that, sorry? Brendan Rogers, Rogers, exactly. Yeah. Perfect example where two months ago, talking about him being Man United manager, now people are saying, should he be Leicester manager? So I don't want us to follow a flawed plan. I want us to look at what happens. And what happens should be is what we, we judge on the football pitch. Now, we've had one game, so I'm certainly not willing to put my hat 
in any court at the moment and say, yes, this is how it should be or that has how it should be. You're saying we should stick to the plan. I'm saying the plan doesn't exist. So we have to see what happens in the weeks ahead. And I think Ranick, if he gets a song out of this team, fingers crossed he does, and I hope he does, and I think he will, I think he gets the job in the summer. That's, that's what I think, because I think if he's a success, it's difficult to then move a boss on. If you're going to say to him, like, he's not going to be the sporting director. He's not going upstairs to sit in the boardroom. He'll be going off back to Russia or Germany to go and work with another football club, or back to Red Bull to give his expertise. And then on the sideline, earning 250 grand a year or something, you know, by just saying, yeah, maybe you should sign this player. I'll have a word with Harlan for you because I'm a consultant. I don't want that. I'm not interested in that. I want coaches. And I think that someone like Ranjit will revolutionise the coaching at Manchester United. Already he's talked about sports scientists and stuff. We've talked about this on the show. Let's talk about that, Rob. Let's talk about the sports psychologist because that's really interesting that he's hired a sports psychologist to come in. I mean, I'm very, very shocked that Manchester United in 2021, nearly 2022, do not have a sports psychologist. It's rough. It's absolutely great. Look, look, let's let's talk about, I mean, let's talk, all the top top athletes have sports psychologists, you know, in top sports, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, Tiger Woods has got one, Roger Federer. All it's not even a it's not even like it's just a football thing. But something that's crazy, Rob, as well, is that you see these players under massive, massive pressure. We've spoken about mental health a lot of times, haven't we? And yeah. to not have a sports psychologist, you see Manchester United players get extra scrutiny, there's extra abuse, there's everything is notched up 10, 15 times more than it would at most other clubs in world football, barring maybe mm-hmm. the Real Madrid's and the Barcelona's. How have Manchester United only just brought in a sports psychologist now. It's a it's huge, it's, it's a huge oversight, isn't it? It's a huge oversight because you've got a sports science department that produces all your reports for your fitnesses. So you're looking at all the fitness levels. You're looking at what someone can do for you physically. What you're not doing is paying attention to this, the noggin here between your eyes, the brain. So Ranik again in his presser today talked about training the brain. And I, I love that because I'm like, that's what football should be about. It's a chess match. You play up here first and then your body follows suit. Those two things work together in tandem. But yeah, you need sports psychology at the heart of your your football club. And that's why I want Ranjik there. I don't want Ranjik, see, telling someone that on a phone from 10,000 miles away saying, have you got a sports psychologist? No, he's there. Just implement it. Just do it. Yeah, you do it, and you'll do it better than anyone else. So please go and do it. So I think it's really good that he's gone that route because at Manchester United, the pressure that these boys are under every day, every game, is at a different level to other football clubs. It really is. Like what Fred gets and has to carry is not what Fred would get if he played for Leicester. You know, if he was at Leicester, people would be saying he's worth 100 million and, you know, go and buy him. But at Man United, you're awful and you're terrible and you're disgusting and get rid. So sports science and sports psychology is huge in the game and in all sports. So I think it shows that Manchester United are behind the times and behind the curve that, that Ole didn't implement that. In some ways... Ole was the sports psychologist. He was there with the guys going, come on, guys, I'll talk to you. I'll give you, you know, I feed into your ears the stuff you need to hear. But that's not what you need. You need someone to be the coach and you need someone to do the sports psychology separate. You know, the coach needs to send it to the psychologist and then it needs to come back. You can't do all the psychology. You can't be Fergie and sit there and, you know, cuddle people. Like Kurt, Fergie used to do that in the office, you know, cuddle uh, players. Rob, and then, Rob, this and then kick hilarious. their backsides. This comment's hilarious. We have Mike Feely in the Mike Feely's the sports Brown psychologist. Guy. Yeah, totally. It's a nightmare. nightmare. Totally. It's hilarious. Do your little impression of what you imagine what Feeling does. Because obviously he's not, he's not there really with the tactics. You know, when he goes, 
come on, Ronnie, run a little bit more for me. I mean, that's that's what he's there for. Do you for. know what? It's quite interesting watching him because you watched uh, Mike Phelan and, and I can see him from my position at Old Trafford. I can see him right, right directly opposite me. And at the moment, for a long time, he sits like this. Yeah. And he just looks like someone who's dead, basically. He's earning a wage, but I don't know what he's getting, you know, what he's doing. And now and then he'll stand up and he kind of goes like this and you think, just go, just go. So it's obviously like, it's obviously a bit disappointing, look, isn't he? Ollie is gone now. Like he, yeah. he's probably been sidelined a little bit. He does need to go. I think he is a, a a guy who can add some consistency behind the scenes. So he can give his knowledge of the players and the deeper knowledge. Obviously, he's got that. You see, it's all there. He understands what these players do. It's just having a coach that knows how to change the problems. So someone like Mike Freeland is not completely useless. But on match days, I will probably say that in the next game or the game after, you will not see Mike Phelan in the dugout. I think he'll be removed from the dugout. He might stay as a consultant. So see Mike Phelan living in Australia, being a consultant, I'm good with that. Go to Australia, get off the off the pitch and off the patch and tell us what you think about the United way and direction and go and watch the football remotely. I don't want Ranik to do that. I don't want I want Ranik by our side, being the one who makes real hard decisions and core decisions. Um, I think we might feel in no issues with him in terms of who he is or what he's done. He's always been that kind of guy around the, around the shoulder kind of coach. He's never really done the proper coaching on the pitch. Um, it's time to move on, you know, and, and that's the whole thing with Michael Carrick. You know, I wish him all the best. Um, and I, I don't think any of the kind of blame that he was getting those final days. I like, got to remember again on Twitter, some of the stuff said about Michael Carrick in the lead up to those final games where he was in coach, it's just disgusting, absolutely disgusting to a United legend, 15 years at a football club, won every trophy going and they're saying you're, you're useless. Yet everyone who works in the game, who knows Michael Carrick, like, oh, he's got a big football brain, you know, it just needs to be unlocked. So I'd have liked him to see him with Rangnick, but I'm also not surprised that he's now said, right, it's time to have a little bit of a break, a little bit of a rest, because it's not been a great few years for him. Robert, you just see it. We'll, look, we'll finish on this last point. You see it as well with uh, Armas, I believe that's his name, who's now coming in, the, the American mm-hmm. uh, coach. He's coming in as the as the assistant. And you're just seeing the, the meltdown that you see on Twitter. Just He's an American. He's, I've, seen, I've seen people go, he's a Yank, he's this, he's that. It's just ridiculous. You saw it with Mike Carrick. I tweeted that I was quite happy to see Carrick and McKenna. By the way, McKenna's here and you saw on the touchline, McKenna and Ranick talking all game, all game. You know, so what to do, what to do. McKenna's very highly rated. Carrick as well. I had no issues with these people being part of the part of the team. My issue was that they were running the sessions uh, under Oli. That was my problem. There should have been someone more experienced. But now with someone like Radic, there's no reason why they can't be part of the, well, they couldn't be part of the uh, coaching team. But when I have a look at, uh, you know, the sort of the reaction as well to Armas who's coming in, obviously he's not from Germany. He's not Jesse Marsh, for example. It's just nonsense. And this is a problem that, the, the fan base down need to just trust what Ranik is doing, and it's yeah. okay to criticize. It's okay to criticize. That's the key. It's okay to criticize. It's okay to be constructive. No, why are we abusing? Why are we just going in and saying, "Oh, this person's rubbish" before they've even done anything? But I think we've got to also be careful about enabling because you know we say, "Oh, it's okay to do this. It's okay to do that." It's not okay. Just keep it quiet for a bit and watch some football. Just let it all play out a little bit, you know, like, rather than prejudging things that you don't know. I always say this about Jurgen Klopp when he went to Liverpool. Not one person at Liverpool would have known all the people that Jurgen Klopp brought in. They wouldn't have had a clue. Liverpool fans would not have had a clue. In fact, they probably still don't have a clue. You know, these people that work behind the scenes who are really good at their jobs. 
people like video analysts, you know, people we don't know who are really important to coaches and they take them from club to club to club. So we know that Ranik is of that ilk, that he's a very scientific coach, that he will look at the real minutia, the real little bits of the game that really matter. And they're not the things that fans look at. So we do this show because we like to talk about some of that nuance. But we do know from the feedback that we get that some of the times, none of the guys in the comments today, obviously, thank you all for watching. But we do get people who tweet us and who, who clearly haven't understood what we've said about a system or a formation or an intention on a football pitch. That's good, but you don't have to just shout and scream about it all the oh, time. Yeah, or it goes into abuse and things like that. It's just it always does, yeah. doesn't it? Always, that's the, that's I, all, we all we and, always and get abused. And you know that's what? That's why I don't like. I know a lot of people again who follow us here. I tend not to chat on Twitter to a lot of our viewers, and the reason why I don't do it is that when it turns into abuse, I just don't want to be involved. So I'll do the show and chat and maybe answer a few questions, but keep it light and friendly and try and keep it about tactics because that's what the show's about. And I'm a journalist. And that's how I would like it to be. But when you look at some of the other stuff, you know, just let let the guy bring in who he wants to bring in and see if it works. That's really important. Six months down the line, if Ranić's holding the Champions League trophy, hey, I don't matter what you say, I'm going to be saying give the guy the job because we need to be a set of winners at Man United. Uh, you said about Roberto Di Matteo. What was interesting about that was that he won that trophy, and everyone at Chelsea went, ugh, duh. And within two minutes after the next season, when he'd lost two, three games, they sacked him. They didn't yeah. want him. So, so it was like kind of like, you know, they did all the work before and then he does it, he wins it. And it's sort of like, oh, right, OK. He wasn't a Champions League winning coach, really, not, not in terms of his qualities. Um, but I think Ranik is. I think Ranik is desperate to win and win a big trophy to kind of seal his own legacy as a 63-year-old who's, who is the professor. But we've got to see if his ways work at the highest level. The Premier League is the highest level and Manchester United is absolutely the highest level. Yeah, absolutely. Look, guys, thanks so much for all your fantastic comments. It was a really fantastic show. Thank you for all the support, the likes, the subscriptions. Make sure you do that as well. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter as well, at TF Masterclass. Give myself a follow on at Hader underscore Bunny and give Rob a follow on at underscore Rob underscore B. He will be tweeting, don't worry. So you don't have to worry about that. You might, well, you might tweet a little bit, now maybe again. a little bit. Next if week. we're doing well and we're seeing a bit of Ranjik Ball, he will be doing that. Make sure you do also check out some of the previous videos. We did do a Ranjik Tactical Masterclass as well, where we talked about three different systems, 4222, talked about the 442 Diamond and the 433. So do check that out. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you all next time. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.